we are the descendants of 40 million people who left other countries, other familiar scenes, to come here to the United States to build a new life. I think it is not a burden, but a privilege. Welcome to Statutes of Liberty, an immigration podcast brought to you by Classco Immigration Law Partners. Hello and welcome to Statutes of Liberty, an immigration podcast from Classco Immigration Law Partners. My name is Liam Sweeney. I'm an associate with the firm and I'll be joined shortly by two of our senior associates, Oliver Young and Jessica Denisi. Today we're going to be talking about the E-2 visa. The E-2 visa is a non-immigrant or temporary visa. That is, it doesn't lead to a green card. Uh, it's very attractive to foreign investors because it's flexible. It's flexible both in terms of the investment amount required and the amount of job creation that you must demonstrate. So it's a really uh, viable option for a lot of our clients. The one catch is that the E-2 visa is only available to nationals of countries with those bilateral treaties in place with the United States. So the issue becomes, what happens if you're from China or Vietnam or Russia or Brazil or any other country which doesn't have the E-2 treaty trader status? Uh, what, what should you do? And the answer is that you can attempt a process called citizenship by investment. Basically, there's countries around the world which have citizenship by investment schemes, and some of those, uh, such as Grenada, Turkey, and Montenegro, also have the E2 treaty trader status. Therefore, you can first obtain your citizenship in uh, th one of those three countries and then apply for your E2 visa, which gets around the fact that you were initially from a country which may not have had an E2 treaty in place with the U.S. We did do a whole episode on the citizenship by investment process with E-2 visas. Uh, that's episode two. It's entitled Avoiding the EB-5 China Backlog with Grenada Citizenship and E-2 Visa. Since that episode was published, there have been two additional countries uh, which have both E-2 treaty status uh, with the U.S. as well as allow citizenship by investment. I mentioned them already. They're Turkey and Montenegro. If you're interested in this topic, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to episode two. I'd also encourage you to visit the law firm's website at classicallaw.com. And while there, you can check out a blog and infographic on how to decide between citizenship by investment country options. Uh, links to that blog and infographic will appear in the show notes to this podcast. Right now, I'd like to welcome Jessica Denisi and Oliver Young, both of whom, as I said, are senior associates with the firm. Jessica and Oliver have both done quite a lot of work related to E-2 visas, both for foreign nationals coming from E-2 treaty trader countries and for individuals who have participated in citizenship by investment and then taken advantage of the E-2 treaty trader visa. Uh, first, uh, I'd like to say hello to Oliver. How are you today, Oliver? Good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So, Oliver, could you tell me a little bit about the requirements for filing an E-2 visa? Sure. Uh, I'll go through the requirements very quickly. Um, so, to me, I feel like E-2, unlike a lot of uh, visa categories, there are mainly two types of requirements. There, there are soft requirements, I call them, and hard requirements. And for E-2, there are a lot of soft requirements. So, let's go through the hard requirements. The hard requirements are, for example, as Liam mentioned, uh, you have to be a citizen of the treaty country. 
right? And you have to uh, own at least 50% of the investment enterprise. So that's those are both uh, hard requirements. But also E2 has a lot of soft requirements, right? Uh, when I say soft requirements, it doesn't mean that they're, uh, they're not required or they're vague. It just means that there are many ways, in my opinion, to uh, go about go about them to prove uh, that the applicant actually meets those requirements. Uh, so number one is uh, the investment needs to be substantial. Uh, I do not want to go into too much detail. I think we probably discussed it in previous episode. So uh, basically the investment must be substantial enough to support the startup of the business. Uh, also, the business must be a real and operating business. If it's a uh, if, if it's a startup business, then it must be it must have the prospect of becoming a real and operating business soon enough. Uh, it cannot be a marginal. Uh, marginal means it has to be not mar- not be marginal means it has to be a business that supports more than just minimal living of the investor and his family. It needs to maybe employ people. It needs to make money. It needs to create economic values. Uh, and then also the applicant needs to be in, in a position to develop and direct the business. Uh, I think we also covered it in the past, but basically you can be a day-to-day manager, but you don't have to. Uh, if you're not a day-to-day, day-to-day manager of the business, uh, you must be in a position to sort of make the important decisions, make the important calls for the business, the manager of the business needs to report to you, and you need to have full authority over um, over their actions. Uh, one more requirement is you, as an applicant, needs to uh, have the intent to depart the U.S. upon the E-2 visa termination. Great. Thanks, Oliver. So, Jessica, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Great. And I understand you're going to tell us about the process for filing an E-2. Sure. Unlike a lot of immigrant or non-immigrant applications, E-2s are generally handled at the embassy or consulate um, of the place where the investor resides. Um, So depending on the embassy, and the process differs uh, from one embassy or consulate to another, uh, you submit the documents first, usually electronically, and then you wait for the embassy to contact you and tell you that you're allowed to come in for an interview. Again, depending on the embassy or consulate, uh, an interview could be available in two weeks or you could wait four months. Um, Barbados, for example, uh, is usually very fast, whereas London usually takes a number of months. Um, Now with the uh, COVID pandemic, um, that's even a little bit more complicated. Um, Many of the embassies are still closed. Um, and the embassies that are open now are first running through the backlog of appointments that were canceled because of the pandemic. Um, so for new E2 applicants, it's probably a number of months uh, wait time for an appointment, although it is possible to request an expedite. The best way to see which embassies or consulates are interviewing people is just to check the website of the embassy or consulate. I got it. So that's that's once, something that's probably changing every day. Mm-hmm. That's right. Once you're actually at the embassy, I, I think the first thing that people point out is that you should expect a really long wait, um, probably sit in the waiting room for a few hours, and then you'll be invited back to interview. 
Uh, the consular officer will ask general questions about the business, its operations, the investor's role in the business. They also often ask questions about the source of the investor's funds used for the investment. Overall, though, the interviews are usually very brief. And if you're successful, you'll pick up your visa in a couple of days. Okay, that's great. Hey, I was just wondering if somebody is, say they're coming from China and they're using citizenship by investment and they go to the consulate for their interview, um, what if their English isn't great? Uh, what do they do in terms of getting a translator? I think different consulates may have different different rules, uh, but uh, usually I think in our practice we'll probably, if it's let's let's say if it's in uh, London or somewhere like a bigger consulate, I think it would have more confidence that uh, that the consulate may be able to provide an interpreter. I know it's not an E2 case, but I've asked about the interpreter situation uh, in Greece uh, for another type of visa. And they said that uh, the applicant can bring in their own interpreter as long as they give advance notice. So I think, I think it's, it's possible that uh, they can either provide an interpreter in-house or they will allow interpreter uh, to come with the investor. Okay, so this goes back to what Jessica was saying, which is every consulate has its own set of rules and you just have to kind of play uh, by the rules of the consulate where you're going to have your interview and you can do that research before the interview. Right. In addition to that, because of the different rules, they also have different rules in uh, reviewing the documents. Some consulates like to review the documents in advance and some documents such as Guangzhou will only review the documents uh, at the interview. So... Uh, if if they're only reviewing the documents at the interview, it is uh, it is very reasonable that they'll take some time to uh, review and make the decision uh, after the interview. Whereas in some cases, like let's say in London, they review everything in advance. Uh, the, the investor may get an approval uh, very soon after the interview. Okay. Um, have you had any uh, success stories that you'd like to share with us, Oliver? Or Jessica, uh, Oliver, why don't you go first? Sure, yeah. Um, so we've had a lot of success in, I would say, in the past year and a half or two years uh, in terms of third country E2 and uh, in Guangzhou and Barbados. Those are the two main posts that we usually submit uh, E2 cases uh, with. Uh, so most of the cases, I would say, are franchise cases. Uh, they work beautifully. Uh, but also we have all other kinds of cases because E2 is really for uh, any business idea that can support a business, support a real and operating business uh, and also provide an econo economic value, hire people and uh, support the living of the investors and investors family. Um, you know, I, I wanted to add, too, about about the third country E2 um, a lot of them are in, in Barbados or, or Guangzhou, but, but embassies all over the world will accept third country nationals for E2s, um, even in situations where they've purchased citizenship elsewhere. Um, and in cases where there's franchises or just for um, any other type of business investment. So it's, it's universal. It can be used everywhere. So let's say you've gone through the process. You're, you're successful. You get your E2 visa. 
and then you're coming to the U.S., uh, what, what do you need to do to make sure that you don't fall afoul of any immigration regulations? Um, Jessica, could you explain that to me? The first time you enter the U.S., you should use the E-2 visa in your passport as opposed to your B-1 or B-2 visa. Uh, your E-2 is good for a maximum of five years, depending on the country um, of which you're a national. The stamp that you're given in your passport will allow you an authorized stay in the U.S. of two years. So it's important in order to maintain your status to monitor how long you've been in the U.S. At the end of the two years, we can apply at USCIS for an extension or you need to make sure and leave the country even briefly and come back in to obtain another two-year stamp. Um, your dependents also need to maintain the stamp so they should travel with you or extend. I think more substantively, um, in order to stay in status, the business needs to be successful and you need to continue to own the business. So we ask that uh, investors contact us if there's been a major downturn in business fortunes or if there's been a shift in ownership. Uh, I also want to add uh, for maintaining status, the E2 visa is obviously tied to your E2 business. So if the E2 business goes down, the E2 visa dies with it. But what happens uh, when there's a substantive change, material change to your business. Uh, I would say in that case, we'll probably have to reapply again. Uh, now, the question, it, it, it gets to a gray area when there are changes, but we don't know whether it's substantive or not. For example, what if your the name of your business is changed or uh, what if uh, you changed your manager or something like that? So I think that's a, that's uh, that's an issue that you probably need to consult with your attorney and get an idea of how to proceed. So Jessica, uh, you mentioned that the visa is good for five years. Uh, what happens after the five years is up? Uh, an E two visa can be renewed. Um, you can continue to renew, um, but it is important to keep in mind that an E two is never going to turn into a green card. Um, so you're never going to become a permanent resident through the E two. Um, a lot of people use the E-2 to transition to EB-5, which would allow them to eventually obtain a green card and become a permanent resident. Understood. I'm just curious, if it's a couple, a married couple, and the husband and wife come in, if, let's say, the uh, wife has the E-2 visa, is the husband free to work in whatever capacity he wants once he gets his employment authorization? One of the benefits of an E-2 visa is that uh, your spouse is authorized to work in the U.S. if we obtain employment authorization for them first. Um, the spouse can work anywhere, uh, whereas the E-2 visa holder can only work at the E-2 company. So, Oliver, Jessica was just explaining how uh, the E-2 visa might work between a married couple. Uh, I was just wondering, if that couple has children, how are the children treated in terms of their ability to attend school in the United States? So generally speaking, the child will be allowed to attend school under the E-2 derivative uh, visa status. So the child can stay as an E-2 derivative until the child reaches the age of 21. And before that, uh, usually, you know, if you're a foreign national, you need an F-1 student visa to attend school, uh, but you can use your E-2 to attend school. Now, one common misconception about the child status is that even though the child is attending school without an F-1 student visa, 
the child is still treated as a uh, non-immigrant, right? And also an international student for a college admission purposes. So uh, the child is certainly not uh, considered a permanent resident or a U.S. citizen uh, when it comes to college admission. Uh, but the child will be able to attend, for example, public high school. That usually uh, high schools that do not uh, issue I-20s for international students. And also possibly the child may be entitled to in-state tuition for some uh, public colleges uh, provided that they meet the in-state tuition requirements. And every state, every school has different requirements for in-state tuition. But as an E2, E2 visa holder, uh, the child can potentially qualify for that. So, Oliver, Jessica was mentioning that different consulates have different requirements in terms of the documents they require or even how the scheduling process works. I was just wondering, taking a step back from that, how do you uh, determine which consulate that you're going to make your application to for your interview? Um, so, in general, I think the best option is to uh, apply at the consulate of your uh, home country, right? So where the country where you reside and where you hold nationality. So when it comes to a third country CPI investor, uh, if, if let's say you're, uh, you're an Indian investor who obtains a Grenada passport later, it is best to apply in India uh, instead of uh, Barbados, which has jurisdiction over Grenada. Uh, similarly, if you're from China, uh, it's better to apply in Guangzhou uh, than any other consulates in the world. Uh, however, if for whatever reasons, for example, the consulate closure uh, that resulted in you not being able to apply at your home country consulate, then you may be able to uh, explore other options, right? So maybe if you're a permanent resident of Hong Kong, uh, maybe if you own house or you own business in Japan, uh, or maybe in some cases, I know Canada has indicated uh, that uh, they, they may be able to accept any case from, uh, from all of the world, but they don't actually re recommend uh, us doing that because of the long wait. So uh, if, if you want to explore different options, you certainly can, and it'll largely depend on the indip uh, ind individual situation. Uh, but the best option is obviously to apply uh, at where you live and where you hold your original nationality. Great. Thanks very much. Well, in closing, uh, I'd like to certainly thank Jessica and Oliver for all of the information. I would encourage you to visit classicallaw.com for more about E2 visas and any other investment immigration information you might need. It's, there's quite a lot of resources on the website. It would do us a big favor if you could rate and review our show as it helps us to reach more people. Uh, also, if you could follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, that would also be really, really appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us at classicallaw.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can email your immigration questions to podcast at classicallaw.com. podcast does not constitute direct legal advice and is for informational purposes only. 
an attorney-client relationship is not presumed or intended by receipt or review of this presentation. The information provided should never replace informed counsel when specific immigration-related guidance is needed.